My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at... Oh, y'all over there. Okay, hold on. My bad. All right. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and as always, a joy and an honor to open up God's Word with you. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Jude. Uh, we're in Jude. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our series called Contending for the Faith. Contending for the Faith. Hold up. I opened up the wrong sermon on my iPad. I was like, I said this last week. What's going on here we go why y'all are opening it up let me just um quickly ask y'all have y'all ever had a dream that you swore was from the lord like you you had a dream and, and you woke up and it was so vivid and it was so real that you were like surely that wasn't me right that wasn't that wasn't something that was cooked up in your own heart and in your own mind i've had that before i've had that where i've had a dream and for some reason i woke up and i know even to this day, I'm like, man, that was a warning from God, right? I, I've received those dreams before, and I know some of y'all might have received dreams similar to that. Have, have, you guys, have you guys ever had a dream where you think it might have been the Lord speaking unto you? Now, dreams are tricky. Dreams are tricky. Dreams are, are very tricky. Here at Pillar Church, we believe that somebody can and does receive dreams from God. We believe that God still does utilize the method of dreams in order to speak to his people and to those who he wants to know them. But we got to be careful with dreams. We got to be careful because sometimes what we mistake as a dream from the Lord is really a concoction of our own sinful desires. Sometimes the thing that we think the Lord wants us to do is really just what we want to do. And we've, we've, we've wanted it so much and in such a, a great fashion that we dreamed about it. And now the dream has come from some other place other than our passions when the reality is it's just our passions that, want, that wants that thing. So we got to be careful with dreams. And this morning, Jude is going to, or this morning, this evening, Jude is going to be reminding us of verse 8 and verse 9. He's going, to, he's going to be warning us and giving us insight into the anatomy of a wolf. And in particular, he's going to be giving us insight into dreamers. If you would look at your cross-reference sheet, if you have a piece of uh, the cross-reference sheet with you, Jeremiah 23, verse 16 and 17. And let me also mention this. If you guys don't have a mask, um, Community Frontline has provided some masks for us. They're free and they're sitting over there on that table. So if you need a mask after this, y'all can go ahead and grab a mask from right over there. No problem. Jeremiah 23. As we get into it, it says this. It says, this is what the Lord of armies says. Do not listen to the words of prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds. There we go. They speak visions from their own minds, not the not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17. They keep on saying, though, they keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has spoken. You will have peace. Thank you. Thank you. You have spoken. The, the, uh, where are we at? Verse 17. Keep on saying the, to the people, those who despise me, the Lord has spoken to you. You will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his own heart, no harm will come upon you. Notice the message of these false prophets. What are they doing? They're ensuring that the people who are going, they're ensuring that everybody is comfortable. That's part of the anatomy of a wolf. A wolf wants to make sure that everybody who's under the sound of their voice has a certain level of comfort. They feel okay about something. And God is warning him like, no, don't let the people who despise my name feel okay. I want you to ruffle some feathers. 
It's okay if their feathers get ruffled because my desire is holiness. And if they're not holy, then I need you to ruffle those feathers so that they can see my holiness. And hopefully, by my grace, I call them unto myself. We got to be watch out for dreamers. What do dreamers say? How do dreamers act? Well, dreamers often call themselves the new Messiah. If you ever come across somebody who says that he's the new Messiah, it's not true. You have no need to worry. If you come across somebody who says they're the only one with truth or the only one with this truth, they're probably a wolf in sheep's clothing. If they say they're the only one who received the true Hebrew that has been lost for generations, that's a wolf. If they say that they're the new prophet on the town or they say that they've been in communication with the ancestors and they have a message for you, those individuals are wolves and you will walk into and engage with those individuals. Judas telling us to watch out for these wolves, to watch out for these false brothers. Wolves seem to maintain the same characteristics when it comes to communication. They're usually going to devalue the word of God. They're going to devalue the word of God, usually by adding other things to it. Well, you have these books, but what about these books? And then these books, you got the deuterocanonical books and you got the pseudepigraphal books. What about these works? They're going to want to add unto God's word. They're going to want to add writings to it. A wolf is going to devalue the work of Jesus on the cross. And the way they normally do that is by adding to the work on the cross. You all know that it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, right? It's faith in him plus nothing that equals salvation. But a wolf is going to tell you, no, it's Jesus plus doing these works. Or it's Jesus plus this heritage or this bloodline. Or it's Jesus plus you plug in the, the hole. But that's not what the scriptures teach. A wolf is going to over-exalt themselves or over-exalt their people. A wolf is going to downplay the realities of their flesh. They're also going to minimize demonic activity. A wolf's going to tell you it's a figment of your own imagination or probably ate some beans last night and it's gas. Or maybe it's the ancestors calling you. Wolves often have many women. And if you look at the history of false teachers in this country and others, they're usually individuals who have relationships, and, my, and for the sake of kids, I'm going to say sensual relationships with many women. You guys ever heard of Jim Jones? He was the wolf that led the congregation at, Jones, uh, uh, at uh, the People's Temple in Jonestown. If you, have, if you want to see a good documentary, look it up on PBS about Jim Jones. And it all usually starts with a dream. It always starts with some kind of subjective reality that somebody received from on high that they are now trying to turn into objective truth. And anytime that happens, you have to be on your toes. Can y'all hear me? Y'all still good? We here? Look at Jude verse eight. It says, in the same way, these people, these false brothers that Jude has been telling us about are relying on their dreams. They defile their flesh, rejecting authority and slander glorious ones. What are they doing? Wolves rely on their dreams over against the scriptures. Now you, be ask, you may be asking yourself, what is so bad about relying on your dreams over against the scriptures, right? If God can communicate to us in such a medium, then what's the big deal if he communicates to us in such a medium? I'm glad you asked. Look at your cross-reference sheet. Genesis chapter six, verse five is one of the reasons why you cannot depend on your dreams over scripture. It says every inclination of the human heart and mind is nothing but evil all the time. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. The words of Jesus in Mark chapter seven says this. It says. For from within, out of a people's hearts come evil thoughts, 
sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within and defile a person. We have sick wickedness in our hearts, y'all. We have sick wickedness in our hearts. For some, for some of us, sometimes we mistake a dream from the Lord, which is in reality a concoction of our own sinful desires. Guys, before we keep going, let me just say another word. Let me say another word of prayer. Lord, you are sovereign over all things. You are more powerful than any of us that sit on this grass. And Lord, I ask that you would do a work even now in capturing the hearts of everybody in this place, whether they be sitting or standing. I ask that you would do a, a mighty work in this particular arena that we're in, Lord. You know what's going on. You feel, you feel me. I ask that you would do a work. I ask that the people of God are able to hear the word of God and that those who don't know you would also hear the word and be turned from where they are. That they would come unto salvation in Christ. Lord, as we prayed last week, we prayed and acknowledged the fact that you are sovereign over all things, even the sounds on the streets. And so we ask that you quiet the streets. We ask that your presence come down in a mighty way and in an undeniable fashion, you would give us, you would give us peace. You would give us wholeness. You would give us joy in the midst, in the midst of distraction. And so Lord, I pray that you would minimize, destroy, end distraction. And that you would Bring us closer to you because you are worthy of all praise and glory. May nothing run us, run us from this place. Your territory is broad and wide, Lord. And so we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can still hear me though, right? All right, so let's keep it going. We cannot trust a dream unless it is sifted by the time tested word of God. Somebody say time tested. Come on, let me hear y'all now. Somebody say time tested out here. Okay, it has to be sifted by the time tested word of God. If a brother or sister has a word from you, first of all, we praise God that God saw fit to speak unto one of us. But our first question is when somebody says they've received a word from God is, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Does it contradict anything that God has already said? If it does, then we know it's probably not, or it is not from him. The second question we have to ask, or, or, or part of that is, does it ring true to my circumstances? Is there something in my life that God is dealing with me about? Because oftentimes when God does speak to, to somebody about us in a dream, it's something that's true to our circumstances, but we refuse to hear it because we don't like being convicted by sin. Y'all hear me? And I know it's true because when somebody has come to me with a word from me that was true, it, it rattled me. Because I'm like, how'd you know? How'd you know? See, what we need to do and what we're calling you to do here at Pillar Church is to avoid the polars. 
We don't want to say that all dreams are from God because that's not true. But we don't want to say that God doesn't speak in dreams at all because that's not true. And what that does, is that leaves us in a pickle, it leaves us in a conundrum. It leaves us in the place of having to interpret, well, is this God speaking to me or is this the concoction of somebody's sinful heart and desires? You see, God is in the business of something called corroboration. Somebody say corroboration. Corroboration is the evidence that supports a claim or a theory. A theory. If these dreams don't have a standard or a basis of corroboration, we cannot verify their validity. Now, let me say this. We want God to speak to us. We desire to receive words from on high. And I know us already as Americans were averse to the supernatural. Remember I talked about that last week? The reality that the supernatural makes all of us uncomfortable. But Jude doesn't avoid it. He doesn't go to the left or to the right of things that are supernatural. He, he hits it right on. So we got to hit it right on. The New Testament is replete with examples of God working in supernatural ways. History is replete with examples of God working in supernatural ways. We need to be open to God working in supernatural ways. You see, when God sends a prophet to proclaim something to us that no one has ever heard, he sets something called guardrails up. Guardrails are in place to ensure that there's no overstepping and to judge the validity of a prophetic claim. Somebody say guardrails. Let me give you some examples, and I want you to try to identify what are the guardrails that God set in place for his people. Do it and you send your cross-reference sheet. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, if a prophet or someone who has dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or a wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised to you comes about, but he says, let us follow other gods which you have not known and let us worship them. Do not listen to that prophet's words or to that dreamer. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Let me ask you this. What's the guardrail that God set in place in this particular text? Did you notice it? It was idolatry. He said, if he says a word and it comes true, cool. But if he tells you to worship anybody other than me, he's a false prophet. Don't fear him nor listen to him. Y'all see the guardrails he put in place? He made sure that his people don't worship anybody else. He did it again. Deuteronomy 18. Look at that in your cross-reference sheet. Try to identify the guardrails. It's getting dark quick. Ooh-wee. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message that the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true, it is not or is not fulfilled. That message is not uh, the message that he has spoken. I'm sorry. Let me reread verse 22. It says, when a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that message from that message, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken, has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Y'all see the guardrails there? What guardrails did he put in place if the message doesn't come to fruition? Right. And so that's how those are ways that we can test and see what guardrails God has put up. And we see that in the New Testament, too. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we see that the Bereans are commended because they thoroughly corroborated the words of a messenger using what? The scriptures. The scriptures were the guardrails for the saints in the New Testament. Even the person of Jesus came with corroboration and guardrails. I bet y'all didn't know that, but look at John chapter five gives us the guardrails and the corroboration that the person of Jesus came with. 
John chapter 5, verse 32, it says that John the Baptist testified to Jesus. It says that the works of Jesus testified to Jesus. It says that God the Father testified to Jesus. It says that the scriptures testified to Jesus. And the most convincing proof of all those proofs is the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead, which is the most convincing corroboration or evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. He didn't just send a prophet blindly and he said, y'all just listen to him. No, he came with corroboration. He came with evidence. He came with power from, from on high. The scriptures are the guardrails and the corroboration God has given to us to verify the truth of a dream or a vision. So what did the wolves in the book of Jude do? How did they use their dreams? Look again at Jude verse 8. It says, in the same way, these people relying on their dreams, this is what they did with their dreams. They defiled their flesh. They rejected authority. And they slandered glorious ones. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. We don't know exactly in what way these false teachers use their dreams in order to slander glorious ones, reject authority, or defile the flesh. But I hope to give you this evening just a, a little glimpse or a general understanding of ways in which they would have done it. First, what they did is they defiled their flesh. Now, it's not unlikely that this verse means that what these individuals did is they used their dreams to reinterpret the plain reading of the text. They use their dreams to reimagine because they've received greater revelation from God. Somehow, some way they heard God speak. And then what they did is they said, well, it's okay for us to have certain types of relations with one another. Y'all feel what I'm saying? There's kids here. Y'all got to, y'all got to hear me now. Right? I want to say what I want to say, but there's no kids ministry right now. They would utilize their dreams in order to give comfort to those who are uncomfortable doing what they asked them to do. Remember, I talked about Jonestown, Jim Jones. Jim Jones did that exact thing. Jim Jones would say that he had a dream or, or that God spoke to him and told him, in order for you to have a connection with me, then we need to do some things. And then that is pleasing unto God. So they use their dreams in order to use other individuals. Now, let me get right to this. Let me, let me speed this up a little bit. How does this particular part apply to you? Hear me on this. Don't justify your sin and don't follow people who try to. Y'all don't justify your sin and don't follow people who try to justify their sin. Don't utilize your dreams, your ideas or your assumptions to justify any sensual behavior. I know with let me give you an example. Y'all 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 could probably feel, you know, how some of us still love to use certain kinds of language, even though that language is clearly said not cool in Ephesians chapter four, but we try to justify our usage of that language anyway. And I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm not talking about everybody else. Everybody else, I'm talking about within the faith, we, we use certain words and we have certain nomenclature. We say certain things and then we act like it's cool. Dog, it's not cool. You can't get around the plain reading of the text, but we try to use a pseudo biblical justification for using that. Well, it's the same thing. If you had said, oh, shucks, no, it's not the same thing. There's a category called false, filthy language, and guess what? It works. Some of us, let me give you another example. Some of us are trying to justify our usage of, of watching certain things on at late night on your computer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, watching certain things late night on your computer, and your justification is, well, me and the wife ain't really getting it in, so what you expect a man to do? Or, or, or me and the husband, you know, we ain't getting in, what you expect a woman to do? And so you justify your usage of, of sin with your own thoughts and ideas. 
Some of us are wrestling with the idea of remaining faithful to your spouse because your spouse was not faithful to you. And so you justify your sinful thoughts and, and hopefully not your sinful actions by saying, well, they cheated on me. And so I'm going to go ahead and there's no justification there. Guys, don't follow anybody who justifies their sin and you don't justify your sin, especially not using dreams. You want to know what God desires of you, whether or not your spouse has led you, led you, uh, led you to a place where you feel like you need to justify your sensual actions. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. It says, for this is God's will. If you ever wanted to know what God's will was regarding sensuality, here it is. You ready? This is God's will. Your sanctification. Your sanctification. And then he says that you may keep away from sensual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. With not what? Verse 5. Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles do who don't know God. And notice, our actions are a direct result of knowing God. If we know God, our actions tend to reverse and change. the. Th you see, you do what you believe. You do what you believe is true. If you believe prayer works, then you pray. If you believe walking in the highway, you're going to get hit by a car, and you don't want to get hit by a car, what don't you do? What you believe affects how you live. And you see, we strive after holiness in ways that are not... Uh, let me... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Verse 6. This means... Oh, check this connection. Verse 6. It says, this means one must not transgress and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Remember how the dreamers were doing it in, verse, in, in Jude chapter uh, verse 4 and here in verse 8? It says that they use their dreams in order to accomplish sensual desires. Well, here during Paul's time and in Paul's location, he's saying, don't use these dreams and don't you take advantage of a brother or sister in this way. Because it was already happening. See, it's already prolific. It was prolific in the New Testament church. Y'all think it's not going down here. Verse six says this means. One must not transgress against or take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. As we also have previously told you and warned you, verse 7, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. And verse 8 is a kicker. It says, consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. Guys, don't defile the flesh. Don't defile the flesh, but get close to Jesus. See, what I wanted to say was this. Oftentimes we have a struggle or a wrestle when we're trying to combat a particular sin. Can y'all think of that particular sin that easily entangles you? That thing that oftentimes has its way with you, whether it's with your eyes or your, or your, or your, your hands or your, or your feet. You know whatever it is, right? That, that sin that easily besets you. And I have people oftentimes who will come to me and like, yo, Pastor K, what do I do to kick this sin? I'm going to tell you discipline doesn't kick the sin because you tried that, right? Accountability doesn't kick the sin because you tried that, right? Shame doesn't kick the sin because you tried that, right? Guilt doesn't kick the sin. Peer pressure doesn't kick the sin. There's one thing. There's only one thing. There's only one thing. Dependent proximity to Jesus. That's the only way. Dependent proximity to him, the closer you are to his holiness, it burns away the impurities of the soul. There's no way to combat sin by being more disciplined. Your discipline will become an idol. You can't accountability your way out of sin. Your accountability will become a, a crutch by which when it leaves, you indulge back into sin. Y'all feel me? Y'all have done it. I've done it. 
But what the one thing that we have not done is ensure that we have a holy proximity to God, that we are dependent upon him. If you come to the point where you recognize you can't crush it in and under, under your own power and your own strength, then you have to be dependent. And then as you're dependent, you grow closer to him. And the closer you get to the fire, the hotter it gets, the more pure you become. And you'll notice when you're not close to him, what happens? You fall right back. Holy proximity to Jesus is the only way the blaze of his holiness will melt away these impurities. The second way they use their dreams, we're going to try to get through it. The second way they use these dreams is it says they use these dreams to reject authority. There's an act of defying the flesh itself, which is rejecting authority. The, the very fact that they were defiling the flesh is a means by which they rejected authority. We saw that in Jude verse 4. And if you have it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on YouTube, go to Pillar.Church, look up uh, Anatomy and the Wolf Part 4, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They denied Jesus by rejecting his commands and his authority. How does this apply to you? Look at your cross-reference sheet, Titus chapter 1, verse 16. But instead of saying they, let's use you. You claim to know God, but you deny him by your works. How about we use I? I claim to know God, but I deny him with my works. And if that is us, look what else Paul says about us. He says, you are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. You might say, Pastor K, make that more plain for me. That's cool. I'll make it more plain. Does your lifestyle reflect the overflow of God's love? Or does it indicate that you're a Christian in name only and you reject the Lord through your actions? You see, it's easy for us to not recant and reject the Lord with our mouth, but our actions. See, that's the place where it gets getting funny. That's the place where we start slipping. When somebody tells us we can't do the sin that we love to do, all of a sudden we got a problem. And so instead of being obedient, we reject him through our actions. We reject authority through our actions. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter six. I, I mean, I read this all the time and it always hits me the same. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Why? Because what you do is a direct correlation to what you believe and what you love. And if sin has a greater position of love in your life, you will obey its passions and its call unto you. Jesus says in Luke chapter six, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me. Here's my words and actions. And here's my words and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came and the rivers crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. Verse 49, but the one who hears and does not act like the man who built his house on the ground without a foundation, when the rivers crashed against it, it immediately collapsed and destruction of that house was great. Guys, I want to skip a little bit right here. Let me skip right down to verse to, to the third one. The third method by which these false teachers used their dreams to uh, use their dreams was to slander glorious ones. Now, this one's a little funny. This one's going to take a little bit of work because this one, ta this one takes a little bit of uh, exegetical work. So uh, this one needs so much work that Jude gives us an example in the very next verse. Look at Jude verse nine. It says, yet when Michael, the archangel was disputing the devil in an argument about Moses's body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Y'all ever read that and you're wondering what is going on in this passage? I know I've read this passage and I'm like, yo, what is happening? 
there's a beef over the body of Moses? And, and, and Michael seeming timid, like around Satan, and he don't want to say nothing. So he's like, yo, Lord, get him. What's happening in this passage? Is that what's happening? This event is not recorded in the Old Testament. Jude is recording something that he agrees with, but it's not found in the Old Testament. This is what we know from what we found in this text. We know that the, we know that that Moses is uh, we know about uh, blah, 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 blah. we know <laughs> we know about Moses's body that it was buried in a location that no one knows about. We find that in Deuteronomy 34. It's in your cross-reference sheet. And it seems that God buried the body in a particular place for a particular reason. Look at Deuteronomy 34 if you can see it. It says, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord, according to the Lord's word. Verse six, he, and if you follow the pronouns back, speaking about the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab facing Beth Peor. And no one to this day knows where his grave is. So you might be wondering, where did Jude get this information from? about the beef going on between Moses and, and Lucifer over the body. He got it from a book called The Assumption of Moses. Now your head should be tilting a little bit because just a few minutes ago, I said that the 66, the 66 books of the, of the Old and New Testament are our guardrails by which we are to judge whether or not a prophet is telling the truth or telling falseness. And yet we see Jude, who happens to be the brother of Jesus, quoting a book that's not found in the 66. What's really going on? Is he stepping over the guardrails? Nah, he's not. Jude isn't stepping over the guardrails. He's not validating the entirety of anybody's source. You see, what he's doing is he's quoting some information that he got from somewhere that happens to be true. You know how, how uh, we listen to news on, on Fox and on MSNBC and on CNN? And y'all talk about that news, right? But is any of y'all ready to vouch for everything that that news station says? Nah. I ain't vouching for none of these news stations. All of them got some spin to them, right? However, we find ourselves quoting the news anchors, don't we? We find ourselves saying, well, Dr. Fauci said, y'all vouching for Dr. Fauci? I don't know Dr. Fauci like that. So is it possible that Jude is quoting a true portion of something that he got that is historical in its origin and he's using it in order to make his argument more robust without giving credit, credit or validating the entirety of the source in which he gets it from? Yes, he can do that. And yes, he's doing that. He's not endorsing them. Notice what happens in verse nine. It says, yet when Michael, the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses's body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Here's what we know. There's a beef over the body of Moses. But when Michael says he did not dare, or when the text says Michael did not dare, that doesn't mean that Michael was afraid of Satan. That's not what that is. The, the grammar and the context tells you that he doesn't want to be at risk of shaming himself. He did not dare because he did not dare shame himself. Well, you're like, how, how do you get that? Well, for some reason, God doesn't desire or like when we shame or speak evil of other divine beings. I know that sounds weird, but that's exactly what we're seeing in Second Peter 2. It says in, look at your, your cross-reference sheet, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, then the Lord, then the Lord knows those who know how to, I'm sorry. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Notice he's speaking about who in this passage, the unrighteous. Verse 10, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Notice he's following the same trailer thought that Jude is. But look what he says, continuing in verse 10. These are bold, arrogant people. 
They are not afraid to what? Slander glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power don't do and don't bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. Y'all see the connection here? Somehow Jude is making a connection that slandering angelic beings, whether they be on God's side or demonic, is not cool. Now, how is this connecting to false teachers? Now, I know, and, and, you know, I know some of y'all hearing that. You're like, wait a minute. I grew up. The devil was under my feet. I'm stomping on it. Nah. Nah. We ain't, we ain't saying under my feet nothing. That, yo, homeboy got power, B. But even more so than respecting some, some, some spirit, uh, uh, angelic being's power, God desires us that we not slander. Why? Because slander is the language of the devil. And he doesn't desire his saints speaking slanderous words about any of his creation. That light came from somewhere. Come on with the light. These false brothers, it's likely that they would make light of the devil and his demons, or they would pretend that they don't exist. But it's more likely that these false brothers would speak evil against angelic beings and demons. Follow me in, in Revelation chapter 12. This is what it says, starting in verse 7. I know y'all can't see it. I'm trying to expedite this a little bit. When, uh, then, this is Revelation, this is the scriptures, Revelation chapter 7, it says, Then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels also fought. But he, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth, and the angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our God and the authority is uh, and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser or the slanderer, the, the slanderer of the brothers and the sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Did y'all notice how Satan is to be conquered and how he was conquered? It says that he was conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So when we're feeling slandered by the enemy and y'all know when y'all when y'all sin. So y'all have had this pattern. You fall into a particular besetting sin. And because you sinned, you say, well, I'm gonna go ahead and do this again because you're already in a bad spot. And then you do it again because you're already in a bad spot. And then you start hearing that 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 internal wrestle, that internal fight where it's like, man, I'm already here. I'm already here. God don't love me no more. God don't desire me anymore. I'm not holy anymore. Those are slanderous accusations that you heard from one place or another. And those or the origin of those accusations don't come from God. And so when those slanderous accusations come your way or when you're being accused because of your sin, you have the blood of the lamb and the testimony of your faith to pull on, to hold on. We have one who will vindicate us from the slander of the enemy. Therefore, we have no fear of any dreamer. Who comes with any special revelation and no fear of anyone who shames us into following anything other than Christ. We can look them at square in the eye and tell them that there is no other name given, them, given under heaven by which men must be saved. And right now my desire is that man be saved. And so rather than being eloquent, I desire to pray and I ask that you would lift your voices. And if you feel what I'm saying and y'all pray along with me, that men may be saved. Because I got to get in the war. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather 
and though there was many a distraction and though there was many of a trial even to the point lord where it's like i skipped like four pages things ain't even coherent we know that there's always a word from your saints your word never returns void and therefore i care not whether one thinks i'm eloquent or intelligent all i care is that your, your word convict the soul and so i ask father god that you would do work I ask that you would bring salvation where it is needed, Lord, even amongst our midst right now, that you would uh, rain down your presence in a mighty way, in a way that is undeniable. Would you break hearts, O oh God? Would you crush pride, O oh God? Would you show yourself in such a way that we can't help but fall to our knees and give praises to your glorious name because you are that mighty, O oh God. I remember when the Israelites desired to see you, they called upon your name and you descended upon the mountain, but your presence was so grand, it was so great, it was so mighty that they said, Lord, go away from us for we are unholy people. Lord, I pray that you would descend in such a way even now. Lord, even if you don't do it in the physical, Lord, would you do it in our souls, in our hearts? Would you rock us? Would your holy proximity be near to us right now? Lord, there are souls under the sound of my voice who need you. There are souls who are in desperate need of shalom that only your spirit can provide. And so, Lord, I pray that you would provide such shalom. I pray that you would speak through your servant and your servants. And that the hearts of men would be crushed to stone because your word is a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. Father, we are grateful for you and gathering under the the night of these, these stars. Would you help us to gather again next week, prepared and ready, prayed up, hearts and minds in the place where they need to be in order to worship your holy name. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise and will we sing praises to your name with joy in our hearts. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.